This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, everybody. Carm Capriato, Aftermarket Weekly. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm doing great, Carm. Thank you. Thank you for having me here again. Always a pleasure, Joe. God, do I love uh, reading your articles and having you on the show. I appreciate it so much. Uh, The couple of things I just want to make a really quick announcement. Uh, The Apex Service Awards, this episode is out. There's still about another week to go for the Apex Service Awards. I'm going to play a really short video for everyone to motivate them. Shop owners, service advisor, and technician of the year. Carm Capriato, Remarkable Results Radio. Good to see you here. I'm here to talk about the Apex and Joe's Garage Annual Service Awards. Now, each year we get a chance to honor an outstanding shop owner, technician, and service advisor. Listen, I know you know somebody that is worthy of this nomination. And all you got to do is go to look at the address down below, aapexshow.com forward slash service awards. The deadline for the awards is August 31st, 2023 this year. The award will be bestowed at Apex this year, which is October 31st, November 1st and 2nd in Las Vegas. Go to the website, link down below, look at the application and enter it. It's a hell of an honor to have and a hell of a recognition. And I know you know someone who is worthy. You have got until the end of August 31st this year, and I'll see you at Apex. Hey, Joe, before we jump into our great topics that we're going to do today, kind of a fireside chat with Joe Marconi. Thank you so much to Dorman Training. Dorman Products creates hundreds of new automotive replacement products every month. Part of what makes Dorman so unique is their ideation of new and innovative products. They have dedicated teams all across the U.S., Mexico, and Canada looking for new product ideas. Since every solution starts with a problem, these teams of researchers, field analysts, product specialists, and contributors consistently visit repair shops and make field calls. Now, this is to best understand the problems the industry is facing. In certain cases, Dorman will manufacture aftermarket replacements so you aren't forced to go back to the OE. Other times, experts take it an additional step, further solving what made the original part problematic in the first place. Solving for a problem is what powers the innovation engine at Dorman. Dorman Products has become an incredible engine for innovation. They are constantly bringing new replacement parts to the automotive industry, and they routinely release tens of thousands of parts across all different categories. Now, why do they do all of this? To enable technicians the freedom to fix their customers' cars and trucks. To do this, Dorman has dedicated teams focused on different aspects of the vehicle to ensure that they are meeting the needs of the aftermarket. Although a lot of their parts are reverse engineering of original equipment, they also redesign and redefine solutions such as their loaded knuckles or programmable electronic power steering rack. Dorman has invested in these OE Fix innovations to help you save time, your customer money, and prevent vehicles from coming back to your shop. In certain cases, Dorman will manufacture aftermarket replacements so you aren't forced to go back to the OE. Hey, want to know more about Dorman? Visit dormanproducts.com forward slash tour. Joe, are you busy now that you sold your shop? I mean, you're just kind of lounging out enjoying the summer. No, I'm not. I thought that I had all this time to do things and to play golf. And it's not that way. It really isn't. And Darren uh, Barney took over Elite. He's expanding the business and he's given me a lot of new opportunities. So it's like I moved from one career to the next with this no middle in there. So, but it's all good. Trust me. It's all good. I'm loving what I'm doing, helping the industry. I'm involved. So it's all really good. 
Good for you. Yeah. Elite Worldwide, you're so passionate. You've got such a, you know, great stuff. I want to cover something you just recently wrote. You have a site, autoshopowners.com, the Automotive right. Shop Management Network. Right. And thank you for publishing our stuff on there. You wrote an article that just came into my inbox today. And I say, oh my yeah. God, look at this. Yeah. I'm interviewing Joe. He writes this article called, and here's the title, Don't Expect Your Employees to Leave Their Problems at Home. And I read it and I felt strong about it. And then there were a couple of quick replies to your post. Yeah. I did another yeah. reply myself. It's about, you know, hey, leave your problems at home. In essence, I don't think we build great retention. I don't think we build work family if we ignore all the issues that are going on in our lives. You know, that's an old expression. I remember as a kid, leave your problems at home. That was a big deal because you didn't want to, your home life to affect your work life. But the reality is it's impossible. And by the way, this is a blog that I put out, came out today. And everything I write about, whether it's on Ratchet Ranch or on my site, Auto Shop Owner, they're all real life situations, whether it's personal or from what I hear from clients and other shop owners. This actually came from a fellow shop owner that came to me and said, you know, I'm having a problem with a technician and his hours are dropping, production's dropping. It's not the same anymore. And what can I do to get his production up? I says, well, have you sat down with him? Is he going through anything? And he goes, sit down with him. I go, yeah, yeah. he said, are you approachable? You know, can he approach you? So he says, I didn't think of that. So long story short, the technician was having problems with at home with his wife and they had challenges. Matter of fact, to a point where he had to move out of his house and live in an apartment. These are challenges that no matter what you think about your business end of it, if you don't understand and have a little bit of empathy for what's going on in their lives, you can build a team of people that you mentioned that the culture that tells people, first of all, live two lives. It's my work life. It's my home life. And they have to work in unison with each other. But there are times when you can't leave the problems at home and it works vice versa too, Calm. Sometimes what's going on in the shop and those problems in the work environment, they're going to flow over and extend to the home life. So as shop owners, managers, you got to be aware of these things. I think you nailed it. Are we spending enough time finding out what is going on with the people that work for us away from work? Right. If we want them to be really good at work, we want them to have a good home life. We want them to be grounded. And just recently, we just had a terrible thing happen in, inside the family and daughter-in-law got burned, second degree burns. And oh. my son was working. He's a yeah. counselor. They're bringing on the new students. There's an orientation. We couldn't get through to him. She's at the emergency hospital and he's going to take that to work, but he's going to have to tell some of the people he works with, hey, my wife's in the hospital. She's in the burn unit, blah, blah. all this stuff going on. I mean, you wrote this at a time where there's something going on in my world, in my family. Yeah. And this happens, it happens more than I think we know. And if you stay close to your people and you know what their goals are and you know what their family is like and their challenges. And part of my response is what I called deep think. I wrote back in Charlie's yeah. reply. Yeah. And we're all, Joe, you, you're busy. I'm so happy for you. Sell the business. You've never been alive and, and more busy. Right. But Joe, the minute you get a chance to let some air out, you go back into deep think. Right. This is what I call. I'm doing this. I got to cover that. I got to follow up on this. I've got this great idea. Yeah. If the deep think isn't good, then we're going to maybe not torque one of the final bolts. We may lose a tire. We may lose a customer. There are good points happening in our muscle memory, but deep think 
doesn't yeah. rely on that. Yeah. Well, let me just piggyback on something you said, which is very important. You mentioned that you have to be the complete employer and a complete employee in terms of sharing these relationships that happen at home and on the job. But that doesn't always happen. And sometimes the, the owner or the manager is not approachable. That's a big deal yeah. because they're not approachable enough. And the, the this technician in this situation that shut down because of family problems, he didn't feel like he, he can go to his boss, his manager. You know, what I recommend clients to do, and I preach this at when I do Fly with the Eagles for Elite, it's a term out of a book by Tom Peters from the early 80s, management by walking around. And that means when you kind of walk around the shop floor and talk about things that are not just about business, get into the hearts and minds of the people that work with you every day. Find out about them. What did they do last weekend? What are they going to plan on doing this weekend? How are their kids doing? You know, are you going on your Harley this weekend? Whatever it is, but you've got to get them to a point where, again, I'm going to repeat myself, you're approachable. So you don't want things to go on for such a long period of time that before you know it, they're shutting down totally. There are some people that are leaders in our industry that aren't approachable because they don't know how to be. I get it. And, and I think, Joe, listen, let's just figure this thing out. Go back to Darren, go to Elite and say, we need to create some training on how to be approachable. Part of our problem is we have lived in old school, leave your problems at home, wrong thing to do. But then how do I turn myself around as a leader who knows that they need to get inside of what's going on in their people so that they give me a great day of work, relieve the pressure by you coming in and telling me something has just basically happened inside the family. I know you're worried about it. You may get a text. You may yeah. have to leave. Yeah. I get all that stuff. But how do I learn to have empathy? How do I learn to sit down in front of an individual and not be a coach or a guidance counselor, but to be yeah. a sounding board. And another great point, you know, it all goes back to leadership. And I think leadership skill, leadership, being a boss are two different things. I think it goes to a lot of self-reflection and looking in the mirror and saying to yourself, who am I as a person first? Because before, look, the business is, I get it. I was a business owner for 41 years. I get all that. Trust me, I get the day in and day out. And you sometimes you're afraid to get into their personal lives because you feel you're taking your foot off the gas, putting on the pedal too much because those interpersonal relationships kind of slow things up, but they don't. We're the exact opposite. I think every business owner and manager has to come to a realization that I have to be a person first. And find out a lot about myself. Who am I? I have to treat these people as if I'm going out to dinner, going out to a barbecue with them and say, what's important to them? What are they like at home? That's where it starts. You know, the thing about leadership, it's about people skills. That's why leaders can be better at being leaders because they're basic people skills. We all have them inside of us. Just got to bring them out. Every single leadership book I read, every seminar I attended, my God, I it's a continuous learning process. And if you strive to be an exceptional leader and you're not training yourself over and over again, that's it. then shame on you. That's Thank it. you for writing that. Joe's blog was don't expect your employees to leave their problems at home. I do expect that there's going to be a lot of replies <laughs> to that. Joe and I had a ton of other things to talk about, but this happened today, you know, that we're recording this. Let's jump into some of the old great topics. You were talking to me about old school and, you know, and sometimes we need yeah. a little old school, you were telling me. I remember I go back to my father. He was, you know, the generation 
grew up in the Depression, World War II. Matter of fact, he was a young kid, five, six years old. He remembers the Spanish flu of 1918, 1919. So, and that generation had to learn to save the world. Let's face it. That was their, that was their thing. You have to save the world and not going to give any help with this. So I remember my first day with a real job. I was 16 years old. It was a job was on the books. Taxes taken out. It was a grocery store, stock shelves and delivered groceries. So the night before, it was a summer job, by the way. I was 16 years old, summer job. So he says to me, so what time do you start tomorrow? I go, nine o'clock. He says, what time are you going to get to your job? He go, I said, nine o'clock. He says, so you're telling me you plan on being late the first day at your new job. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I said, what do you mean? He says, look, and he makes this analogy. If there's a five o'clock game at Yankee Stadium, does Mickey Mantle get to the stadium at five o'clock? He says, no. He says he gets there early. He says, you got to get there early. If you get there on time, you're late. And we've all heard this expression. So I says, what should I do? He says, you got to get there 15 minutes beforehand, 10 minutes. To, you got to show some respect for the, for what, for the job that, with the opportunity given you. So, and I bring that up only because as a business coach now, lateness is a big problem. And I've heard all the excuses. Well, they make it up during their lunch break. They stay late. That's not the point. There are certain things that in my world are kind of non-negotiable. I get that no one could be always 100% year after year. I get the exception. The exception can't be the rule. I mean, there are certain guidelines. And if you have two or three people coming late and five or six people that are there on time, what kind of message does it send to the rest of the people, the employees? And what kind of message does it send to the people that are doing things the right way about your leadership skills? So I think that's just one example of we got to blend. We got to blend some old school with new school. Why is it going on? Why is this lateness going on? I spoke to a few people that I know in the education world. First of my daughter's a school psychologist. I got a good friend of mine who is a, he works for New York City school systems. And he says that they don't put a big emphasis on if they come in late, there's always an excuse and they let it go. Now, I remember going in my high school and I was born and raised in the Bronx. If you were late, the side doors were closed. You had to come in and there was somebody waiting for you and you didn't go to school. Class, you went directly to the office and you had to sit there and you were held accountable. They called your parents. That doesn't go on anymore. And I think we make too much excuses being flexible. We don't emphasize some of the things that we did years ago. Now, let me just say something. I don't think that being old school totally is the way that we should be. My first day as, as a technician on a new job, I was 21 years old. The boss pulls me aside and says, Joe, there are three ways of doing things, the right way, the wrong way, and then there's my way. You do things my way, and we're going to get along just fine around here. It was my way, the highway. So I think that end of the old school, that's got to end, and it has to a certain degree. I think we need that blend. That's what I'm trying to say. I like where you're going with this. And let me try to relate another story about Grandpa John, my grandfather, Capriato. And he taught me, Joe, Honesty, integrity, ethics, responsibility, and that my yeah. word was my bond. You could think that's old school, but it's not. And to your point about being old school, who is teaching us that stuff today? That's a great point, Calm. You know, and I also look back on my father, my grandfather, and let me give you another story too, which piggybacks on your point. When Saturday mornings, if my father was home, he didn't have to go, he wasn't working, he had a shop too, he wasn't working. We had to do our chores. I had three other brothers and we lived in a small apartment, but we had to keep it clean. 
And one of my jobs in the Saturday morning was to vacuum the rugs. So I said, vacuum the rug real quick because I want to get out there and play. It's a Saturday morning. I want to get out there and play outside. But my father would, every week he used to come there. If he was home, he would pull the couch aside and say, vacuum behind the couch. So I vacuum real quick. And I always say to my father, no one sees behind the couch this week after week. So one day he tells me, you're right. No one sees behind the couch. You do. That's all that matters. So in other words, again, that's an old school thing. It doesn't matter. You just do the right things for the right reasons. So to your point, and your word is your bond. I heard that often, your words. Again, we need that blend. We need that blend. There is nothing wrong with us as leaders of our businesses. And it's incredible, the young people that are joining our industries in in so many of our shops. Some people are so proud to say, I got a 21-year-old and he's going to be incredible. He's going to be fabulous. Should we take what we learned old school? And again, let's not count old school as negative, Joe. But who's teaching us honesty, integrity, ethics, responsibility, your word? Who's teaching us that? And I would suggest, if you're listening and you're a shop owner, leader, COO of an organization, why not in the opportunities that you have for the meetings that you have with your team to just pick something and says, hey, guys, we know we got a great culture here, but let's talk about honesty. Let's talk about starting work on time. And then another meeting. Let's talk about the integrity. And again, let's go back to your lateness thing. The thing that I thought about, Joe, was people rely on us. We rely on each other. So if someone shows up at eight o'clock because they know that's when we open and we can't be there to serve, we've disappointed people along the way. People rely on on us. Maybe that's the kind of deep think we have to realize why we're getting to work early. It goes back to your point about leadership too. Where does that start? I think each of us has to take on some sort of responsibility and a leadership position and just to lead ourselves first. And I think that going back to my father's analogy of no one sees it but you, think about that. You know, you're doing a job, you're coming in on time, you're doing a break job, and no one really sees you lubricating the, the backing plates or lubricating the slides of the caliper. No one sees you doing that, but why do you do it? All right. So it all comes back to if you're not doing things for yourself first, if you don't have that self-respect first to do things for the right reasons, I don't know where that leads to because in my day, you proved yourself first. And then we'll sit down and talk. And I think we need to blend that too. I think that we need to blend that too with pay and benefits and the right work environment. I agree with you. It's not all negative in the past. It wasn't all negative, but there's certain things we should leave in the past. And there's certain things that happen today that we should improve upon. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Hey, thanks for kicking the butt with this. This was great. I think that we all, every once in a while, need to hear Guys like us sharing this conversation and hopefully we can go out there and change some people. Hey, let's talk about A-rated technicians. You know, do we need to redefine it? I am passionate. I've done some blogs on this. We've done shows on this. I I know. talk, Talk to me, man. You know, I've heard your shows on this. I read a lot about this and I think it's time, especially these days. You know, when I was working at the Ford dealership back in the late seventies, I went in there as a B level technician. And then I says, well, what's the qualifications for an A level technician? So the service manager says from the, here's the bumper, front bumper and rear bumper. You have to know how to do everything in between. In other words, whether it was rebuilding a steering rack, rebuilding a steering gear, I should say, rebuilding an engine, rebuilding differential, transmission, electrical, climate control, whatever it is, you had to do all that. All world. All world, yeah. That was only one car line. So you could probably do it. That was my goal. Leave there as an A-rated technician. And I did that. And even in the independent world, when I worked for 
different garages and, you know, growing up, you worked on three car lines, basically General Motors, Ford and Chrysler. And they all broke down a lot. So you had a lot of work back then. But if you think about fast forward today, it's just not that way anymore. It's too much to learn. And let me give you a good example. About four or five years before I sold the company, I hired someone that was, he was born and raised in Greece. He was trained as an undercar technician in Greece. He didn't know anything about drivability, engine repair, transmission repair, nothing. Electrical, that wasn't his cup of tea. But what he did know was alignments, brakes, steering, suspension, everything under car. If you give him a problem, a driveline problem, a vibration, he would figure it out. Well, in my mind, and he was proficient, he was excellent, very productive, why isn't he an A-rated technician? Just because you can't reserve that spot for a certain sector of technicians that have like a talent toward drivability, electrical, diagnosis, things like that. It's just not that way anymore. Maybe back in the day, you can get away with that type of rating, throw in hybrids, EVs. You know, you need to specialize. You need to yeah. specialize. And each of those specializations should have its own. Right? Yes, should have its own level. Listen, if I show propensity to want to be really good at chassis, Joe, I love, I get alignments. I mean, it's just me. It's a natural part of how I think. Yeah. Well, yeah. great. Well, then let's yeah. take you as a production apprentice and make you a C and a B and then an A tech for chassis and alignments. That's what I'm saying. You're exactly right. And I love the idea of being a specialist in, I guess there's too much incoming, too much technology. And to a point, Heard Matt Fonzel recently talk about that we're relying too much on AI and networks to help us diagnose that he believes in another X amount of short-term years, we're going to not be yeah. able to understand what a scope yeah. means and what it looks like. It's going to have yeah. dust on it. And then when we really are needed, we're going to realize that we've fallen behind. First of all, Matt Fonslow, his perspective from his point of view, that technician is priceless. It really is. So I, I listen to him all the time. So Matt, I tip my hat to you. You do a great job. Let me just go one further about technology. The industry has got so segmented. So this compartment, this, you can just separate it so much. It's almost like a, when you have a dentist, a psychologist, a pediatrician, a surgeon, they're all considered doctors and all can, a-level people, right? Yep. Well, but have. yet they're all different. So we need to move to that position, you know, and, and yeah. plus think about this. It'll open the doors for more careers pathing, for more people to get into industry. In other words, the pathway to the top doesn't have to be, well, you have to eventually understand electrical and diagnosis, drivability, onboard computers. That's not your pathway necessarily. I go back to this employee that I hired from Greece. He eventually got the status of A-level in my shop because he was worth it. I think we need to rethink that. I love it. Again, speaking of Matt, him and I did an episode on The Bear, this TV show on The Bear, where yeah, the I chefs, it, yeah. and uh, oh my God, I mean, they have sous chefs, they have bakery chefs, yeah. but they're specialists in this one particular area. You and go. For, the, uh, yeah. for a sous chef to move to being a bakery chef, they got to go back to school for, because they are so ingrained, so embedded in, yeah. in the job that they do. Yeah. No yeah. one can touch them. They're so good at it. Well, I think we need to take a lesson from that. I really do. I know. And Matt and I, and Joe, I'm going to recruit you to think the whole, the word chef, when I started to watch that episode and started to realize the importance that the designation, the professionalism of calling each other chef, I don't call you Joe. If you and I were working in a kitchen in a high-end place, Joe, no matter what it is you did, if you worked in the kitchen, I chef. would not call you Joe. I would call you chef. And that's out of respect. 
right? And yeah. so I think about the professionalism, yeah. what we need to know in our industry, what can we call, <laughs> I was playing around with, do we yeah. call each other tech? I'm challenging the industry to help, good help us come up yeah. with a professional moniker, professionalism, saying that yeah. we would all, somebody who is in apprenticing wants this one day Aspire to yeah, yeah, I love the concept. I'll think about it. That's a great concept. I really appreciate is. that. Yeah. Joe, I know you talk to people yeah. a lot about retention and recruiting, which, which yeah. is more important. First of all, no one's going to deny that there's a, not just a technician shortage, but an employee shortage. I just went to the mall the other day. We took my granddaughter to the mall. We went around a little bit. And I'm telling you, help wanted, hire within. They're all over the place. I even saw a billboard on Route 22, a local automotive repair shop that went for this huge billboard trying to find technicians. So it's out there. But I think that we sidestep our obligations sometimes by not realizing that the first part of attracting people to our companies has to be involved in understanding retention. What type of environment do you have? Do you provide the training? Do you provide a real career path that includes what the employee values as part of their career point because you may have your career levels here and map it out but is that in line with their goals their future objectives so i think the retention retention is number one if you don't have the facility or the company that attracts the quality people and retains them you're gonna have a revolving door i think in those terms retention first and then you should have an ongoing recruiting policy or recruiting program I hate to keep dropping Matt's name, but uh, he and I were on the phone just yesterday. Every time he comes up with a podcast episode, he says, yeah. hey, I got an idea. We're talking about career pathing, Joe. Ironically, you just brought it up. And Matt was challenging my think that, well, what really is career pathing? And I said, yeah, we've done shows on it in the past. And so after he and I chatted, part of what we were thinking about, and I think we were sharing together was, okay, thank you for coming in. Production Apprentice, appreciate that. Let me lay out a career path. Here it is. Someday you may be able to do this and this. Isn't that exciting? I would not quite say that's the way to approach career pathing. Exactly. I agree. Career pathing would be, look, this next year, 365 days, you're going to get these trainings. I'm writing them down. I know where we're going to get them. And you're going to study this and this. You're going to do this ASE here. And then in 2025, this is what we're doing. So don't lay out a movie picture idea. Lay out in real terms what is going on? What is happening? So if the person wants to get deep think into their career path, they can pretty much see, oh, I'm going to vision. I'm doing this. I'm doing this virtual training. Yeah. I'm doing a lunch and learn. And it's not words. It's literally a plan. It's a strategic plan for an individual yeah. on paper. Show me the career path. Don't tell me. You're right. But and one more component, I will look, talk to Matt about this too. One more component, like a person wants to become a, I don't know, an accountant or a finance person. There's a pathway to that eventual career and that eventual position, whatever that looks like in the future. But they also have the ability to kind of, they have skin in the game and they have the ability to help with that career path thing. I think that one of the best things that you can do is sit down with you and they may not know at 21, 22 exactly what that looks like. If you like the way you mapped it out, that's beautiful, but they have to have some sort of input and some sort of a little bit of control because somebody has control. And when part of that process comes from them, then they really feel that they take ownership of that and that they're going to be more inclined to follow that career path. 
Plus, what a great way to have somebody retention again in your shop that knows that this company is taking care of my career path, but I also have input on what I look, what I want to vision myself in three years, five years, 10 years. It may change. We all change when we're young. But I think that getting the individual involved in their own career pathing is critical these days. It really is. Totally can't just come from the ownership. Well, the management. Great insight. Wow. I love that. Okay. So I'm a shop owner, Joe, and I want to sell my business. And uh, you take me on as a client. And I say, yeah. All right, Joe, uh, you're finally on. I finally got this coaching thing. I want to do this thing. And I think I want to sell my business in the next five years. Yeah. What you say? Well, sometimes I'm saying it's it's a little too late. (laughs) Sometimes. (laughs) Well, first of all, you know, Michael Gerber, the e-myth, he wrote in his book back in 1985, the e-myth. This is not an exact quote, but I think he said one of the responsibilities as an entrepreneur is to get your business ready to sell eventually. So, I mean, and that goes back to old world values again, old fashioned values. One of the things that people tell you is you buy a house today, make sure that it's ready to sell tomorrow. You don't want to wait until you're ready to sell, ready to get out, and then you start fixing the house up because it's a little too late. And again, like I said earlier, a lot of what I write about and teach and preach is about real life things. And we have clients that come to us. You know, I'm 58 years old, 61 years old. I'm looking to sell in two or three years. What do I need to do now? What have you done? To answer your question in a long roundabout way, come. you got to start thinking. If you're in business today and you open up your shop today, I know it's hard to think that way, but you have to have everything in place and grow to that position where it can sell at any time. Look, let's face it. Life can throw your curveball tomorrow. You can get sick. You can get into an accident. You could become things that happen to you or a family member. And so you got to have everything in place. And one of the things I want to mention is the financials. If your financials, I mean, well, I got to clean them up and I need help. Clean. I mean, you've been in business 35 years and what do they look like the past 35 years? So there's a lot to this calm, but, you know, to sum this up real quick, you have to do all the right things at any given time in your business career to make that business ready to sell at any given time. It'll be more profitable. You'll attract better people. You'll hold on to better people. You'll have a better looking facility, a maintained facility, and your business will be worth more at any given time in its entire career. So that those are my thoughts. I love it. Don't wait till it's time. Don't wait. Do it now. Go back to the Gerber quote. One of my takeaways from that book was every decision you make should be determined on selling your business. And so he said, would this be good for my business? Good for my people? Good for our customers? Right. Make that decision that says, will it help the value of my business and continue employment for my people? Hey, one final thing I want to ask you, how many customers that have gone to four day work weeks? Personally, how many clients? I don't have any personal clients. There are some in our group probably, but I don't know. I know we have a coach, Greg Skolnick from, I believe, Maryland. A great guy, Greg. Love Greg. Greg is a great guy. He pioneered this years ago. He did. Oh, my God. Oh, by the way, I think I interviewed him eight years ago, right in the early days of me. And he was talking about his four-day work week. Love Greg. I don't even know. Oh, yeah. Great guy. But anyway, so out of your client base, you don't have any. But what percentage do you think of the people that you know? I mean, 30, 40 percent? No, I don't think it's that high. I really don't, Carm. I think it's really low. I don't know for sure. A good guess would be under 10% in yeah. my world. I really, you know, let me tell you something. The four day work week, it's not for everyone. And I don't want to mislead anyone by, because I hear a lot of shop owners who have done it that preach it. 
this is the best way to do it, the only way to do it. And I even, this may go contrary to what other coaches may think too. So this is my own personal opinion. If a client has to prove to me that they can't close down to five days, you know, because some of them work five and a half, six days. We have one client, he's not my client, but he's a client in the elite group in Texas, four locations. He told me, there is no way I'm going to close down Saturdays. It's one of my best days. By the way, he has no problem retaining people and no problem hiring people. And I think that, again, if the four-day work week is your decision and it's right for you, go ahead. Call Greg Skolnick. He'll tell you how to do it, you know. But it's not something that we should paint the broad brush and say, this is the way it should be. This is what's coming down. Businesses are like fingerprints. There's no two that are alike. And you have to make decisions based upon what is right for your business. And I can't tell a client, you should go to five. The first thing you're going to do is go to five days. It would be so wrong for me to do that, especially someone that has so many other issues to deal with. Let's get you to a point. You want to rotate those Saturdays. You want to have a four-day work week for someone. Whatever you want to do, I'll work with you. But it has to be your decision, what's right for you, not because you heard it from another an event or a trade show or read it in an article because I want to be careful because as a person now that's in a position where I do seminars, I do webinars, I do a lot of coaching, consulting, I have to be real careful about how of the position that I take and not just say there's one size and fits all. I hope I'm making that clear. No, you are. The reason that I asked is I think there's a lot of people always sitting on the fence thinking and wanting to do it. And the reason that I asked, and and I think you gave us the perfect answer, Joe, is it really depends on your situation, your market, your people, your your clients. And it doesn't mean, though, as an owner that you have to be there all six days or all five. I mean, there's another part of the whole entire story about you you as a leader and the kind of people that you have and can who can carry my ball when I'm not there. That's what Greg learned a long time ago, how to do all of this. Yeah. He may have been one of the first ever, not the first ever in the industry, but an innovator when it came to figuring out what that four-day work week was all about. Right. If just go to our website, type in Greg Skolnick, you'll see some of them episodes. Yeah. And that may motivate you to think of the decisions you need to make yeah. on how you work. If you're six, you want to yeah. go to five. If you're five, you want to go to four. The reason yeah. that I brought this up and I know you wanted to speak to it was in the last week, I've had two people on my show, last week and a half, two people on my show that are at four. They say it was one of the best things we ever did. And again, oh, it's, it's circumstantial. I get that, that. That's fine. I have a client that has a gas station. He's in the gas station business. His whole life, his father was in it. He's in the gas station business. They're open seven days a week. And his repair shop is open five and a half days a week. The repair shop ended with it. But he has a sea store. He has a car wash. He's got uh, gas going. And what going on there? So it would be an injustice for me to say to him, this is what you have to do. It really it, would. My vision is if you're a really strong local marketplace, single operation, you probably could go to four. But if you're a large MSO, you know, five, six, nine operations, I don't think you could go to four. I think five would be where a lot of the guys want to go. And then if you really are spending a ton of money on marketing, you probably need to be there at six. Exactly. And that's a good point, Carm. It all depends where you are. In other words, how do you manage, if you operated a six-day operation for 25 years, how do you get to five days? That's a challenge within itself. I'll help you. I will help you look at the numbers, rearrange scheduling, customer base. You may have customers that say, well, look, I've been coming to you for 20 years and I can only come on Saturday. So, and I know you can work around that. Please, I know all the, you know, I've been around the block a number of times. Again, I want to say this in honesty and fairness to everyone. If that is your thing and you want to go to six to five or five to four, I'll help you do it. But it has to be your choice 
that works for you and not just because you've heard it somewhere else. I get it. I totally get it. And it's also, as we said, circumstantial. Don't think that there's a trend and you have to be there. Some people make terrible decisions without any support and right. helping them with it. Yeah. Hey, this was great. Thank you for coming on and just oh. kind of fireside chatting with me, Joe. Thank you. And I know you hate to be praised. I know that about you, but I want to just thank you like for what you do for the industry. I love doing this with you. And I just, yeah. you bring so I much wealth of knowledge and so much diversity in thinking about different subjects. It's just amazing. So thank you well, for doing this. Will you hear our episode coming up on grief? Yeah, we're going to bring in a grief expert to talk about how we deal with this stuff. And it goes back to your whole thing about what's going on with people and how they deal with certain situations. And I felt it was so important knowing all the stuff that goes on in our world and in our life and the loss of a loved one, yeah. the loss of jobs and all these issues yeah. that we have to deal with. And I'm going to bring on a grief expert to help us with it. That's right. coming up. Joe Marconi, Thank Elite you. Worldwide and the AutoshopOwners.com, Automotive Shop Management Network. Joe, thank you so much. Now, if you're listening yes. and you just loved what we were talking about and if you learned anything, and I'm sure you did, now go out and get it done. Thanks. There you go. Thank you. Have a great day, Carl. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.